Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much and welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help sustain yourself and your wealth for 30 plus years. On today's show, we're going to be talking about luck and losses, a brief overview on emotional investing. Also, what landlords need to know before they sell, sort of a prep for spring here. My name's Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice, of course, come from Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, Happy New Year. How you doing today? Oh, thanks, Jeff. Same to you. I'm doing great. Well, I hope everybody else is having a great year. Here we are together again on the radio. Brian, I heard the most incredible story the other day. I want to relate this to you and our listeners. In 1999, an Australian truck driver was involved in a serious accident that left him in a coma. Even though doctors said he had no chance of living, he miraculously woke up after 12 days and was completely fine. Well, feeling lucky for having survived, he went on and bought a scratch lottery ticket there in Australia. The result? He won a $17,000 car. Well, normally, winning a car wouldn't have made it to the news, but because of Morgan's accident story, the local news decided to do a feature story on the man who was clinically dead and came back to win the lottery. Well, while filming, they asked him to buy a lottery ticket so that they could reenact the winning scratch. Well, he happily obliged and started scratching. And what happened on camera? To everyone's dismay, he won another further $250,000. What are the odds of something like that happening, Brian? I would think they're pretty steep. I'd think they're pretty steep. I would think I have a better chance of getting hit by a lightning bolt than <laughs> winning two things like that. I'm pretty pathetic, though. i got to admit, Jeff, as soon as you said he won a $17,000 car, the thing that hit me in the head <laughs> between the eyes was, yeah, but what about the taxes on that? Yeah. I see these people on the prices, right, get all excited. They want a $40,000 car. But did they know they got to come up with $10,000 out of pocket that they don't have? Right. So they're going to find that out when they do their taxes, and then they go, where am I going to get $10,000? And they're going to you got to sell your used car. <laughs> that is a funny story, and I'll tell you something that is true. Back when I worked in New York at the big sports station there, we gave away a Porsche 911. And, you know, when people would call in, they won a key. They all came to a particular place, and they could put their keys in the ignition. And, you know, the one that worked won the car. The guy who won the car had the car transported back to the dealership that we bought it from, <laughs> and he sold it back to them because he could not pay the taxes on it. Was that one of our clients? Because that <laughs> yeah. was actually pretty good advice. Because like I said, if, if he'd driven around for a year or so before his accountant said, oh, by the way, you have a no. used car to sell to pay the tax, <laughs> you'd be hurt. Especially in New York, where they have the city tax, borough too. tax, oh, city yeah. tax, the state tax, and the federal tax on that. So you right. got four entities reaching into the, the empty pocket that you got yeah. uh, when you got the, those, that key to the car. So mm -hmm. yeah. He was I, a smart guy, yeah. though. He knew right off brilliant. the bat there was no way he was going to be able to pay the taxes on that car. So like I said, I, he, he sat in it when he turned the key, but that was it. Hey, closed the door. Congratulations. Took a couple of pictures. The transporter picked it up and took it right back to the dealership. And in, don't even mention the fact that uh, what are you going to do with a Porsche in New York City? Come yeah. on. <laughs> Well, wow. that's the last thing I want. To Are you kidding? Be. Where do you park that? And uh, well, yeah. you know what's what's left after you left alone for overnight? I well, don't yeah. even know. I, well, I, no, thank you. In New York City, BMW means break my window, and yeah, it'll be the no, same way with exactly. a Porsche too. It, it, I don't know. That was a yeah. while ago, but it hasn't changed much. But yeah, he had the foresight to do that, and I understand at these game shows as well too that there is somebody who is standing by from the Internal Revenue Service, or at least a taxing authority who makes sure that these people understand that they've got to pay the taxes and makes arrangement for that. Do they have those people at the casinos, too? Cause I, I don't, don't know. know. They they should. If they don't, they, they should. should. Well, they do give them 1099s right on the spot, I believe. They do, so, yeah. So leave it to Brian to come up with the tax angle of, of, of a simple story about winning the lottery. <laughs> and that wasn't the point of your story, I'm pretty sure, Jeff, but I, I had to segue a little bit there to satisfy my, my intellectual curiosity and geekness. 
But uh, yeah, what are the odds of that? And is that a, a plan? I, I No. Uh, obviously, what we're talking about here is getting lucky. Right. And uh, when it comes to retirement planning, and certainly there's a lot of people that have gotten lucky. And some people know they're lucky, and some people think it's because they were smart. And it could be a little bit of both. For instance, uh, people that had the right stocks in their portfolio and hung on to them. You know, not every stock went up, every tech stock, not everyone went up. So way back when, in let's say the late 90s, uh, before the, well, they had a tech rally and then, they, you know, 80% of the NASDAQ went away in the next three years. And so there were certain tech stocks that really were terrible to own. And if you had the right ones, I mean, you look at the NASDAQ back then, there weren't companies like Google and, and Tesla and Facebook and all these companies we think about now, NVIDIA. It was a different set of players. It was, you know, AOL or Egghead or whatever it was. It was companies that don't even exist anymore. And so, you know, some people might say, well, I was smart. I invest in tech. And I didn't know when. Because if you invested when, you know, in the 90s, maybe you picked the right ones, maybe you didn't. You know, maybe you got Microsoft and Apple, they were winners, but most of the other ones were losers. And so, you know, maybe you got lucky and you got the right one. Maybe you weren't lucky and you didn't get the right one. So luck can play a part. I mean, I, I, I tease people. They'll say, boy, we did good on that. And we were lucky. And I said, well, it's funny how, how much luckier you get the more research you do. You know, right. it's like, or the more time you spend, you know, planning. Your, your luck tends to go up. We think of luck as a random thing. Well, it's not necessarily random. And I, I share this story. I'm a national coach, and I remember I was speaking in front of 300 people. And during the break beforehand, this person told me how lucky I was to have the practice I have. And I, so I got up in front of everybody, and I told them what this person had told me. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's amazing how lucky I got or how much, how much luckier I get uh, the more I outwork everybody in this room. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I, I'm a CPA. Are you? No. I read the Master Tax Guide six years in a row cover to cover. Did you? No. I learned about DSTs and, and you know, all these other alternative investments strategies and all this other stuff. And I'm an estate planner. I understand estate you know, tax planning and income tax planning, all this stuff. Do you? Do you? And well, no. Is that information available to you? Could you learn it? Well, yeah, but I don't want to. It's too hard. Okay. Yeah. Amazing how lucky you get the more you work. So there is that. But you know, back to the, the question about just being lucky in, in your retirement planning, probably not a great strategy. Buying a lottery ticket every week is not a great retirement strategy, except for the person that does win it. Right. <laughs> but your odds are kind of stacked up against you. Yeah. And hope is not a plan. Luck is not a plan. Now, this man who won the lottery, I mean, he didn't do anything other than just buy a scratch lottery ticket to do that. But if I'm hearing you correctly, Brian, that, you know, some people do get lucky, but others create their own luck by having a comprehensive plan and really stacking the odds in their favor. Yeah, there's statistics out there that 66% of investors, two-thirds of investors essentially, have made impulsive or emotionally charged investing decisions they later regretted. I'm surprised that number isn't closer to 100%, so I I don't know the the backing of that data. But a lot of people invest emotionally, and I've seen that throughout my lifetime. If you look at any, uh, you hear people that sell stocks for a living, you know, they're stock brokers or whatever, or the I hate annuity people, they they sell, they want you to invest in stocks. And so they can pull up statistics on, oh, the stock market has averaged X percent for the last 100 years. I'm like, well, that's nice, but I wasn't alive 100 years ago. And I didn't have any money 30 years ago, so really, in the market. So talk to me now and talk to me about the future, which no one can really say what the future is going to be. And so when people start saying that, then you probably want to walk away. But it's important to understand that the stock market might have some statistical uh, validity as far as a potential rate of return long term historically. However, we have to take that with a grain of salt because even as when, you know, the time I've been a financial advisor, going back two, three decades now, when I started as a financial advisor, literally 36 of the first 39 months I was a financial advisor, the stock market was down. I became an advisor. I'm going, why would anybody do this? This is probably the worst job in the world. I think I'll go apply for putting out oil well fires or something. That that seems like it'd be less hazardous than than my job as a financial advisor in a market that goes down every, because I became licensed in December, 1999. And in March of 2000, I think it was, and Microsoft got that antitrust decision against them and the tech stocks just started plummeting. The dot-com had been, you know, on fire the prior three years. All of those plummeted, went away. 
away pretty much, a lot of them, most of them, I think. Then, oh, we had this thing called 9-11. Oh, and then we had a recession, you know, and it's just every industry was in the tank. And, and that was my that was my start to my career. I was like, wow, this is terrible. Well, fast forward, though, you know, okay, 2004, we're starting to recover, five, six. And then there was a little bumpy 2007, but, you know, people real optimistic. We just recently sent out an email where they had all these professional financial people, prognosticators, all the experts, and they're all on this panel saying, oh, yeah, 2008 is going to be awesome. It's <laughs> yeah. re- really cooking now. And what about the real estate market? It'll be fine. A little step back, but it's going to be just fine. And they're yeah. going on yeah. and on and on. It's in our email. And it's <laughs> a sad comedy to watch because we all know that yeah. the banking system worldwide almost collapsed in 2008. It was Armageddon and finance and real estate too. And people that thought they were fine for retirement, all of a sudden we're not. And that is what we're really trying to avoid. In a minute, I'll talk about the uh, get rich, stay rich uh, scenario I wanted to discuss here because greed is a powerful emotion, instinct, whatever. And we usually have it when times are good. <laughs> when they're bad, we are, security becomes a little stronger desire. And really, we should have both, a little bit of both probably all the time and not not too hot, not too cold, but I uh, want to talk about that in a minute. But yeah, you go back to 2008 and we had that collapse and, and the markets and real estate and everything. And, and it was just a very difficult time for people's retirement portfolios in 2009, 10, 11, 12. A lot of people got out of the market and then the market starts recovering. Now they're going, oh, should I get back in? And and then we had a run of good years and a bad year in between. And then we had COVID and the whole world shut down again. So here we go again. And then we had inflation and recession and everything else. So boy, uh, even in the time I've been a financial advisor, it's been a very bumpy ride. So I think uh, we need to re- always remember that. Always you know, use history as a gauge for the future to say, yeah, even though statistically I might show something was good. Gosh, the stock market did terrible many times along the way and, and for a long period of time during the decade of 2000 through 2010, it was it was not good. And uh, is it going to be good in the future? Well, we got some problems. Uh, we got debt to GDP that rivals what it was post-World War II when the top tax rate was 94%. And so it's like, are we going back to that? That would devastate the economy. So there's still, there's a lot of things to concern ourselves with. So we have to have a, a implement a proper plan and not just let luck or, or greed dictate. Yeah, and those are two of the most powerful emotions, luck and greed. We're talking with Brian Evans here, Madrona Financial and CPA's Luck and Losses, a brief overview on emotional investing, and we want to continue that conversation here in just a moment. But based on this conversation, Brian, here we are at the beginning of 2024. I'm sure that everybody wants to get off to a proper start. Well, how can you do that? How can you get your questions answered about luck and losses? Well, it's quite simple. We're opening the phone lines for you right now, so you can call 833-673-7373 and request your Madrona analysis. It's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be the most important call that you will make all year. It's just a friendly conversation between you and Brian to get your questions answered and to put you on a successful path for retirement here in 2024 and beyond a retirement that could last as much as 30 years. Now, you must have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify. And as a bonus, we'll also send you a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Remember, not going to cost you a dime, but it could be just what you need to address your issues and your concerns about 2024 and moving forward. Once again, the phone lines are open right now. Get your 2024 off to the right start. No time like the present here. 833-673-7373. It's 833-673-7373. Brian, you were talking about that 2008 video where people were really positive and they were talking about how great things were going to be. And I'm sure that a lot of people watch that and, you know, they took it to heart. They, it basically was telling them what they wanted to hear. Well, fast forward to today, we get so much opposing viewpoints and, you know, computer news stories and television and radio about rate cuts coming here in the coming year. The Fed Chair Powell has said that possibly he's going to have at least three rate cuts during the coming year. How should listeners really digest that information? And should they act upon that or just wait until it happens? Well, the curious thing about that is that when, you know, some people go, oh, there's going to be three rate cuts coming up. That's when the market's going to go up. So I'll invest then. I'm like, oh, wait a second. No, the stock market is a forward-looking indicator. It's already priced in. If, if we're talking about three rate cuts in the future and people believe that that's happening, that's already priced into the market. 
People don't wait for it to happen and go, oh, I think I'll make a good decision now. It's it's too late. It's already been priced in. And so we had a recent rally. And I did want to talk about that for a minute because here we are again. People are talking about, you know, oh, the market hit an all-time high recently. An all-time high. That's awesome. That just sounds great. We better get into the market, right? And I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying, okay, let's sit back. What does that actually mean? I'm going to dissect that for a second. The all-time high, meaning it's higher than it's ever been, right? Duh. Captain Obvious here. But when was it just as high that it just broke the record? Two years prior. So I pulled up a two-year graph when they said the stock market hit an all-time high, and I said, okay, where are we coming from? And it was two years ago. So people are thinking, oh, I'm making all this money in the market. I was like, not if you measure it in two years. You just gained back what you lost in 2022. If all your money was in the market, which is dominated by the biggest tech stocks, which your investments may not be. And so you may be down over that two-year period when you think you're up because everybody's saying how great the market is, an all-time high. But are you? And so there is a question right there. And I think of the scenarios that we could play out here. One of the big problems that a lot of people have is that they don't have a very sophisticated financial plan or mix of asset, you know, investment types. And there's six different places you can put your market, cash, stocks, bonds, real estate, insurance company products, and alternative investments, and many variations on, on those six. So what a lot of people, the problem is they'll, they'll go to their uh, strip mall advisor or whoever, and okay, what's the plan for the next year? And they go, well, we use the rule of 100. So we take your uh, 100 minus your age. We put that in the stock market and the rest in the bond market. And you're, you're 70 years old. So that means we're going to put 70% in bonds and 30% in the market. And, you know, this isn't anybody's fault. That's just what the industry tends to do. Right. And you go, oh, okay. So 70% of my money's in bonds. What's the yield on that? Uh, 3.1%. Uh, it's the index. Okay. And how much do I get? What's your fee? Oh, 1.5%. Like, oh. So I get 1.6%. Yeah. So the million dollars I have in the bond market, I get 16000 the next year. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't sound like a lot of money to live on for, for a year for a million dollars. What's my upside? Well, bonds tend not to move unless interest rates move. So if everything being the same, not a lot of upside. We, we've taken some hits. So you know, bonds have, have lost money in the last couple of years. I'm like, oh, wow. So I'm down and I'm only making that much. And that's our plan. And like, yeah. So that is the plan of most, a lot of America. It's the rule of 100. You know, last year I was 69 years old and you have to be 69% in the bond market. And this year I'm 70 years old. You, mm. Now I'm 70% in the bond market and the rest is in the stock market. But didn't both of those get hammered pretty good in 2022? I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, if, if you're feeling uncomfortable, I'm kind of making you uncomfortable. If this is your story. I'm sorry. But, you know, is there something you can do about it? Well, absolutely. Let's say you decided you wanted the secure assets and uh, you started looking at some of these other asset classes like the cash market. That could include CDs. And CDs, uh, you might have been able to get a much higher rate than the, the bond market. And it would be net of fees, not, not gross of fees. So when I said 3.1 in the bond, you know, aggregate bond mm -hmm. index as your yield and take off one and a half percent. Well, if you had a fixed index annuity or, or a CD, let's say, you know, cash to cash equivalents or insurance company products, uh, you had either a CD or a fixed annuity, maybe at 5%, maybe at more, uh, locked in for a period of time, three years, five years, seven years. I'm not talking about a 1.6% yield anymore. I'm talking about that five to 6%, whatever it is you locked it in at. And so would you rather have, if you had a million dollars in that, would you rather have uh, me say, yeah, you're going to walk away at 16000 a year in yield net of my fee? Or would you rather have, in this case, say, let's say you got a 6% uh, guaranteed for five years. Wouldn't you rather have me say uh, you're going to make $300,000 in guaranteed interest over the next five years? net of fees rather than 16000 a year for five years? Of course you would if that was your objective. So I'm saying that, that there are things you can do with the other asset classes. I'm just scratching the surface here. I don't have time to get into all the different options we have. But if you have an advisor that has all the tools in the toolbox, but most advisors do not. And again, it's not your fault as the investor, just the industry that, that it is. And so on this show, you know, we, we talk about these other things. So it drives me nuts. You know, I always mention this to people that say, I hate annuities. 
degrees and you should too. We do better when you do. Mm. Well, of course you do. You're, you're in the market and you're charging a percentage. Sure. And if the market goes up, they make more money. If it goes down, oh, well, sorry. You know, it's like, well, what, what other stuff did you have me in? Well, not a whole lot. Maybe some bonds. I don't know. But, you know, in my scenario where I could guarantee somebody maybe 300000 in interest on their a million dollars over five years versus maybe 16000 a year. You know, do you hate $300,000, Jeff? No, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, why? You're supposed to hate annuities. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, well, that's stupid. Why would you hate an asset class? If it's if it's a tool for the job, then right. use it for the job. Maybe it's not the tool for the job. Maybe you're in the get rich stage of life and you just want to go for it. Well, then don't use annuities. They're stay rich. They're secure assets. They're not get rich assets. And so what's a job and what's a tool you want to use? So the problem in our industry is we use the same tools for every job so right. you know you you go to your advisor and you go well well here's my situation well it sounds like every other one here's our 60 40 stock bond split i hate annuities and you should too and it's like well wait a second here <laughs> You know, that's what you told me and I had a whole different set of circumstances going. And it shouldn't be that way. Our industry should not be that way. We should look at your situation and tailor the recommendations accordingly. And and one of the things I did mention I, I was going to touch on was get rich versus stay right, rich conversation. Right. If somebody comes to me and they say, Brian, I need you to help me get rich for my retirement. I go, no, I'm not your guy. Mm-hmm. I'm in the stay rich business. I help people that have made good decisions, saved their money, invested, maybe have a business, real estate, stocks, 401ks, whatever it is, uh, inheritance, you know, you name it. I help them stay rich. That's, my, that's an objective of mine, not get rich. Getting rich involves risk, and I am not in the, the, the take the most risk business. You do that in your 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe 50s, that's fine. That's, and that's when they become clients of mine. They say, well, I've been successful. I took risks. I had a business. I, I'm selling it or whatever it is, or I'm retiring. I have a 401k. That's where people come to me and go, I don't want to work anymore. So I can't take max risk. I have a different game plan. I need a different set of tools. I can't live my retirement years with the same set of tools I used for the first half of my, my life. I need a different set of tools for the second half, my retirement years. I need tools that allow me to stay rich, improve my cash flow, you know, adjust for my risk and so forth. And so that's what we're in the business of, not the get rich uh, kind of business. Yeah. And I think that that's a problem with the financial services industry. We've talked about this before is that there are limited scope advisors out there and then there are comprehensive advisors such as yourself, and I'm finding that there aren't a lot of comprehensive advisors. I mean, out of 10 uh, financial advisors, would you say that one of them is comprehensive or maybe not even that many? Not even that many. Like I say, I'm a coach and I know. So it's That's right. You it's talk difficult. To them. It's hard. Yeah. It's, you know, what, what makes a comprehensive advisor? Well, would you like somebody to actually take into account your income taxes? Well, yeah, of course. Don't they? I'm like, did they ask you for your tax return? Ooh, no. Well, then how are they giving you income tax planning? Or can you ask them a tax question? Will they answer it? Well, no. They say consult your tax advisor. Well, is that person in the room with you when we ask that question? No. Do they follow up with that person? No. Did you consult your estate advisor? I don't have one. You know, it's like this is a scenario that I, I see all the time. It's like, well, this is really important to get it right, your financial planning. You need to consider your estate plan, your gifting plan, your legacy plan, your income tax plan. Well, if, you, if your advisor can't even talk about those things, then we got a problem. <laughs> we, we have a disconnect. And if your advisor has limited scope and only sells certain things, you know, I say it on the show all the, all the time, they're a hammer, you're a nail. Everybody looks the same to them. Everybody looks like a nail. I, I sell stock market and I, I hate everything else. Why? Because well, I don't sell it. I, I don't make money on it. So I hate to be uh, just put it out like that, but that, that can be the case for a lot of people. Now, there's some good advisors out there, no, no question about it. So if you have a good one, good for you. you but you're probably not listening to the show if you do, because a lot of people listen to the <laughs> yeah. show are, are listening because I need what you're talking about. Right. I don't right. have that. Of course. What's my next step, Jeff? <laughs> I, I think we have a solution for them. Absolutely. I'm uh, completely confident that you have a solution. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. We've been talking about emotional investing here and making your own luck. I'm going to direct this to our listeners now, Brian. If you feel that you need more than just a 60-40 stock bond portfolio split, if you need more than just a limited scope advisor, you have special needs and concerns, you're worried about tax minimization and the whole host of other things that has gotten you to the point where you're listening to this program. Listen up because I've got some good news for you. We've opened the phone lines. 
this weekend so that you can get in and get off to a good start here in 2024 and request your Madrona analysis. Quite simple. You can do it right now. Call 833-673-7373. Just a conversational analysis to put you on a path towards a prosperous retirement here in 2024 and beyond. Again, 833-673-7373. Make that call today. If you're just joining us, this is Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. I'm Jeff Shade. We just finished discussing emotional investing or luck and losses. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. You're going to find this show and all of our daily takeaways so you can stay on top of your wealth and how to grow it. We're going to take a quick break, Brian. When we come back, we're going to be discussing what landlords need to know before they sell. Sort of a primer for spring. Stay tuned. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to Growing Your Wealth. I'm Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this next segment, we'll be talking about what landlords need to know before they sell, prepping for the spring. And Brian, we've talked before about many of your clients. I mean, they own businesses, or many of them have gotten to where they are today through real estate, and that may be investment real estate. So I want to talk about that. You know, you've got investment real estate. You're you're working that. You're dealing with the toilets and tenants and trash, and you're able to do that. But as you get up in age, it becomes a little bit harder to do that. So Brian, when a landlord comes to you and says, Brian, I just don't want to be a landlord anymore, but I kind of like getting the money from this. What do you typically tell them? Well, one of the things we do, and, and I think it's a really important step for anybody that owns uh, investment in real estate, is to go to uh, your, you pull out your Form 1040 the last two years, go to Schedule E, page one. That's where it's going to list all the different rentals. And figure out what your fair market value is of that particular property, and then figure out what your actual net cash flow is on that. So it's basically there. I mean, that, and, and when I say net cash flow, I don't mean gross. I don't mean what are your rents? What do you put in your pocket at the end of the year? You might say, well, I make 3000 a month in rent. I'm like, but what do you put in your pocket? Yeah, I had a $30,000 uh, roof repair. You know, I have property manager and insurance and taxes, repairs, supplies, time, you know, all this stuff. And, and it, it costs money. And so maybe you, you think you're making 6%, you're really making one or two. So figure that out. What is your return on investment? So that's the first thing we, we look at. Because sometimes there are occasions where people actually have a very high return relative to their investment, and it's not that much work, you know, uh, to own the property. And so in that case, I was like, well, can you hang on? Maybe we just want to do that. But most of the time, we find out that they're really not ahead for being taken on all the responsibilities and the, the stress of, of owning real estate and managing it or having a property manager. You're still on the hook for things. You're still going to make big decisions. You still have tenant risk. And now we have new risks across the country even. There's a lot of new uh, tenant laws, uh, right. landlord tenant laws, and um, pretty sure none of them are leaning towards being good for the landlord. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the common theme of all of this. And so where people think thought, well, maybe 20 years ago, I was fine owning my, my properties. I liked my tenants. They took care of the yard. Uh, now I've, I've got some problems with my tenants. I don't know what's going on in there. And one of the newest things, and I hate to really alarm people, but the fentanyl and all this yeah. kind of things, I'm seeing places shut down for extended periods of time for very expensive cleanup of, you know, if there's any of those these kinds of issues in a house, it shuts down. The hazardous uh, that stuff. stuff. Yeah, it's hazardous waste. And you, you can't just have a house cleaner come and clean that up. I no. Mean, I mean, they could die, I mean, basically, just Absolutely. come in contact with it. And so we're in a different world. And then can you even do that with the new uh, landlord-tenant rules and all of this stuff? And I think we're going to see a real wave of, uh, especially older folks. And when I say older, I'm talking baby boomers, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, that say, I just don't need to do this anymore. And one of the things I would definitely point out is it doesn't mean you don't like real estate. It's just that it served its purpose. Yep. You bought it. Uh, you know, Here's a typical scenario I want to go through because this is something I run into all the time. And it prevents people from making a good decision that could improve their life dramatically, improve their cash flow, reduce their stress, give them more time in their retirement years, and they miss it. And so here's the problem. The problem is that let's say they spend $100,000 for a rental and they've been renting it out and they've been fixing it up and over 20, 30 years, whatever. And a year ago, they looked up, looked it up on Zillow and it said it was worth $600,000. And they got great. 
Well, then uh, inflation went up and interest rates went up and property values dropped. And now they look at Zillow and let's, I'll just round number, let's say it's worth $500,000. If I ask that person how much they are up on their house, almost invariably they say, what do you mean up? I'm down. And I was like, well, what'd you pay for it? hundred grand, but it was worth 600. So I'm down a hundred. I got to get that back. I can't sell it until it's 600. I'm like, what do you mean? You, you paid 100, it's worth 500. You're up 400 grand. Yeah, you made 5X. Yeah, or, or, you're, or 4X, you're 5X yeah. of the, yeah, of what you paid. Right. You're up 4X on, on profit. Right. Well, you're up 400%. What are you, what are you talking about? No, I'm down 100 grand. <laughs> and so you really can't get them out of that mindset because that's our brains. They, they, it works against us. And so you're going to hang on to this place that, you know, you don't know that it's going back to 600K. You don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to 400K. You don't know if it's going to be at 500K for 10 years. We don't know. We know today it's worth 500. You paid 100. You're up. Okay. Right. And you and if you sell it, you have a big tax bill. Now, we can help you with that. We can get you out of that. But follow me along. You got to make the decision that you're okay with the gain that you have. Do not worry about what Zillow said it was worth for a, a minute or a month or a, a year or whatever. That doesn't matter. That's the past. It doesn't matter. Right. It's what is best for you today going forward. And almost invariably, it would be like, well, what are my options, Brian? Let's say I decided I'm okay selling it at a $400,000 gain. Mm-hmm. Then what? Well, then we can do what's called a Section 1031 exchange. You can sell your property and we'll hire a qualified intermediary and we can exchange it into a diversified group of real estate called a Delaware Statutory Trust. So in this scenario, I might say, okay, you've decided to sell, you're going to get 500 grand before it closes. We get together, hire the qualified intermediary, which we will help you with. And then we start looking at investments. They're under a package called a Delaware Statutory Trust, just a fancy name for a diverse set of institutional uh, quality real estate that qualifies for the 1031 exchange. So the place closes, the 500 grand, you don't take it. It goes to the qualified intermediary. And then we have selected with you the reinvestments. So let's say you decided to buy five different DSTs. Maybe you wouldn't do that many, but two are are in multifamily apartments in the South and West, and maybe one's in an Amazon distribution facility, one's in Walgreens and NetLease properties, one's in self-storage. You know, it could be just different kinds of properties. And so the 500,000, thousand dollars that nets at closing goes into these investments. Now you're still in real estate. Someone else is managing. You get your monthly check. Uh, It starts that next month for your share of the rents. You don't deal with it. You'll never get a tenant call. You'll never get a call for repairs. You'll never get any of that. Down the road before 10 years is up, these things will sell and you'll have a decision to make. Do you want to do another 1031 exchange? You want to just take the money and pay the tax? Or maybe there's been a death in the family, either yourself or your spouse, and you've got what's called a step-up in basis, which means all of the gains <laughs> yeah. uh, go away permanently for the step-up amount at the date of death. So you can have a, a legacy plan, an income plan, and a hmm. growth appreciation plan with these, and a plan for your life to kind of take it back. Now you're not worried about the fentanyl problem with, right. <laughs> with you, you know, in your rental house. You're not yeah. worried about the landlord-tenant laws. You're not worried about any of that stuff. Go do your thing. This stuff runs without you, essentially. So you have institutional managers managing this real estate and you don't have to anymore. So we have a solution, tax-wise, mm-hmm. life-wise, all this stuff. But you have to make that decision that you're ready to allow a change, a pivot in your life. You've owned this rental for decades. I understand it. Sometimes people get emotional about it. They get attached to their rental properties. I don't. I just see them as investments. But, yeah. you know, okay, maybe you are. That's fine. But uh, there comes a time in most people's lives where they don't want to have that. Many people at the end of their life maybe don't have a good last couple of years. Maybe it's dementia. Uh, or or some other health reason, which is why they're going to pass away. Do you really need to be a landlord at that point in your life? Or do you want to just provide for that early, take care of that, and enjoy the life you want to live? And uh, I think a lot of spouses listening to this, and we go, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Listen yeah. to this guy. He's telling you, that you, <laughs> you don't sell because you, you don't know. You know, it's like, okay. And there are reasons not to do them. Uh-huh. I don't know if I'll have time to get into that but, yeah, uh, today. We, but uh, We are going to talk about that. Okay. But I had a chuckle there as you were going through all this, Brian. The reason I chuckled was because, I mean, there's so much detail in what you're talking about. This is truly what a comprehensive financial advisor talks about. I mean, people are going to listen to what you're talking about and going, yeah, you know, I'm going to tell my financial advisor that. And they go, yeah, you know, I want to have a DST. And the advisor's going, well, why would you want one of those, you know? 
Because the advisor doesn't know anything about it. I mean, that's a limited scope advisor versus a comprehensive advisor. And the other takeaway that I got from this is that people say, yeah, well, I'm making 8% or I'm making 10%. In reality, like you said, when you subtract your expenses and costs that you have, in reality, many times you're making half if that. And the third thing, you were talking about problems that landlords have. You talked about, you know, possible fentanyl cleanup, but, you know, tenants will move out in the middle of the night. But I've been reading about this thing that's going on in California, probably going on in other places. But in the state of California, there are squatters who will go into an empty home. Let's say it's between uh, tenants and they will simply move themselves in. They will squat in this home. And I've heard of squatters, Brian, that are in these homes for a year. And for some reason, legally, the landlord can't get them out. Have you heard about that? Absolutely. I've heard about that. That is a scary proposition. It is. And let me let me tell you, when you get back to your house, pretty sure the copper pipes are going to be gone too. Oh, yeah. You know, the walls will be ripped open and the house is going to be completely trashed. And the, just the, the emotional toll that some of these situations can take on someone is devastating. And it could have been completely avoided just by saying, all right, it went up in value. I'm selling. I'm getting out. And now I don't have to deal with that anymore. Uh, my, my tenant is, instead of, you know, being that tenant, or being empty is now Amazon or, or Walgreens or, right. or, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, sign me up for that or self-storage. People are not squatting in self-storage. No, they okay? aren't. <laughs> they're, they're not trashing Unless self-storage and really pulling desperate. the plumbing out of the wall that doesn't exist in the first place. I mean, right, that's, right. that's a pretty clean investment or student housing or whatever. Though. Students are not trashing <laughs> their student housing at nope. Auburn University or wherever it is. You know, it's just, that's not happening. So yeah, there's, there's a, so a lot of positives to, to do but again you have to go back to when are you okay with a change and people are reticent to change now again very often i'll be talking to a couple and you know one of them is very much let's get rid of this stuff and the other one's mm-hmm. like no we have to this is what i this is all i know and so you got to decide that you're ready to make a change for the better in your lifestyle so this is a lifestyle question you write about the whole advisor thing here's two responses that you often will hear from your advisor first off we don't do dsts and the other one is dsts are bad right why are they bad I don't know. I just don't sell them. So they're bad. I hate DSTs and you should too. (laughs) You know, it's like, why is that? It's always because I don't sell them. Okay. Well, that's not what I was asking, uh, you know, Mr. Fiduciary Advisor. But yeah, so uh, most people do not know anything about them. And even the ones that do, you have to know it to the nth degree. You really should uh, be a student of Delaware Statutory Trust. You know, I get in front of uh, audiences. I give seminars on this. I give speeches to other advisors. I do on my radio. Radio show. I've written about them. I'm published on. It. You know, I, I I go to conferences. I have a full time employee just analyzing our alternatives and DSTs, and so we know our stuff. I mean, we we do everything we can to to know everything about them and pros and cons. And you did mention Jeff. We, we would talk about cons. Right, right. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But in the meantime, I'm sure that a lot of people listening to the program today, Brian, do have active real estate. They're looking for an exit strategy from being a landlord. Well, if that is you, I want you to take down this number, or better yet. Call it right now because phone lines are open at 833-673-7373 and request your Madrona analysis, which is going to cover a lot of things, but included in that will be, if you are an active landlord, how to become a passive landlord. Once again, it's not going to cost you a dime. Could be the most important call that you'll make. Do you really want to go through another year of toilets, tenants, and trashes, and capital calls, and just all the hassles that involve having a second job or even a full-time job that is being a landlord? You don't have to do that. Call 833-673-7373 and request your Madrona analysis. And again, you must have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify, but if you do, we'll send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be just what you need to put you on a path to a prosperous retirement. That number again, 833-673-7373. And again, phone lines are open right now, so make that call. Brian, I have heard people say, uh, you know, other financial advisors, they've maybe gone to them and they presented this problem that, well, you know, I don't want to have this active real estate anymore. I want to get into something else, but uh, I don't know what to do. And many times that advisor will tell this person, the answer is to sell just sell it, pay the taxes. I would think that there is an ulterior motive when people say that to somebody. 
Well, of course there is, because most advisors are not you don't know about DSTs and don't work with them. In fact, most advisory firms won't even do them because it's hard. And the hard part is there's a big income tax analysis component to this. Right. And we talked earlier on the show that most financial advisors are not licensed to give any income tax or estate planning advice. And DSTs are big on income tax and estate planning with a step up in basis. That is what they are. So unless there's a CPA component in this discussion, and most advisors are not CPAs or or have access to uh, CPAs experienced in 1031 exchanges using Delaware statutory trusts and step up in basis of common law versus community property states, et cetera, et cetera. I could bore bore you to death on all this stuff. But unless you, you do that stuff uh, every day, you're probably not going to feel comfortable advising on it. So they'll just say, don't do it. And so, you know, I'll tell you why not to do it, but here's the difference. So I can tell somebody why a particular investment is not a good option for them, like a DST. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I didn't uh, spend the time learning about it. Okay. If that's the answer, it's like, uh, don't do a DST. Why? Because I don't know what they are. I don't understand them. And my company doesn't either. That's not a good enough reason to not do a DST. The good enough reason to not do a DST would be some of these other ones that we're going to talk about in a minute. But don't let it be that your advisor just didn't spend the time to get to know what they are. Yeah, every investment has pros and cons to it. Every investment has some element of risk. I'm going to throw something at you that uh, I've heard. Well, if I sell my property, I'm getting, you know, X for rents now. But if I do this DST, I understand that I'm going to get a half X. Is that always the case? That's rarely the case, but that's often what I hear. Okay, so that's why I said earlier, let's pull the tax turn and just figure it out. What is your, your income? And if that's the case, then that's a reason not to do a DST. So as I mentioned earlier on the show, there's a get rich stage of life and the stay rich stage. Uh, We're always a little bit in both, but in our earlier years, we're in the get rich. So if somebody 45 years old comes to me and says, I'm killing it in real estate, I'm doing all kinds of, I'm buying low and and things are going up in value and my cash flow is good or whatever, or appreciation is good. And I want to do a DST, right? I'm like, no, you're in the get rich stage of life. You keep doing what you're doing. And when you've amassed your real estate empire and you're kind of done, you've it's accomplished what you wanted to do. Your net worth is high. Your your asset base is high. You, it's done again what it's supposed to do. Then come talk to us. You know that's not the client that it fits for. So there's a reason not to. You're still in the get rich stage of life. You're younger. You you got the energy for it. But when you come to me and you say, well, I you know let's go backwards. Let's say I had this conversation with somebody 20 years ago when they were 55. Well now they're 75 and they go, well, yeah. Back when I talked to you before, I had two million in real estate. Now I have 10. I'm pretty sure I can get by on 10 million dollars and the cash flow from that just fine. I'm 75 years old. I'm ready. I'm like, okay, that's the person we do it for, not the 55-year-old that, that said, no, I'm, I want to build this empire up. They're in the get-rich stage of life. So there's a reason not to do a DST. Okay, Brian. So we've talked about Delaware Statutory Trust, and I really get all of the pros why you would want to do that. I think the chief among them, at least for me, is to kick that capital gains tax bill down the road, and you can swap till you drop, uh, really almost literally, and people can come in and ask you what that actually means. But you mentioned one of the cons about doing a Delaware Statutory Trust. What are some of the other reasons why someone would not be a good candidate to do this? Yeah, some people don't have a big gain. And so this is a tax deferral strategy with the ultimate goal of having being a tax elimination strategy with that step up in basis. So again, in that example, let's say the guy at 55, his portfolio is worth $2 million, now it's worth 10. Uh, I got an $8 million gain plus depreciation recapture on that original two. So I might have a $9.5 million gain out of $10 million. Well, I'm sure he would like to not pay the income tax now, which the 1031 exchange will do, or ever for him, his spouse or or his heirs, and the ever part comes with a step up in basis. So the $9.5 million gain in that example, completely eliminated, 100% eliminated potentially through 1031s and the step up in basis. So sometimes I'll, I'll get a call from someone that say they need to do a DST because they just inherited a property. Well, they already got the step up in basis, that property received, and there is no tax when they sell. So there's a situation where you would not do them because you just don't have a gain associated with that property. All right, so we're talking about pros and cons of doing a Delaware statutory trust with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And as I said, one of the pros is kicking that tax can down the road, but there are a number of cons too. DSTs, what is the typical time frame for the investments? Is it something like four to seven years? And uh, how liquid are DSTs considering that? 
Yeah, I would say it's four to ten years. Four and to ten. I'm okay. Call them. Yeah, I'm going to call them illiquid. For okay. This. Uh, All right. There, there really isn't much of a secondary market for them. Just as it is the property you're selling, maybe you own that for 20, 30, 40 years. You know, it was illiquid essentially. You, you weren't selling it to, to get some short-term cash. Same thing with this kind of real estate. Now you're you're moving into a four to ten year. So if you're okay with that, then you can do it. If you're not okay with that, don't do it. So the tweener part is I might have someone say, yeah, I'm selling my property for a million dollars, let's call it, but I need 200000 for the next several years. I'm like, okay, well, you can pull that out. It's called boot. Right. And okay, well, don't I pay tax on that? Yeah, yes, you do. You will pay tax on the on the 200000 you pull out and defer the rest. And they're like, okay, well, I do need the money. I do need the liquidity, so we'll, let's do that. So sometimes there's a, a in-between thing where they need some of the money, not all of it. We can do that, but they are generally illiquid. So people say, I don't like illiquid assets. Well, most illiquid assets are some of your best investments, your business or your real estate or your house. They were all illiquid for long periods of time. That can be a good thing. But if you don't have other assets in your portfolio, because most of my people the real estate say, well, as long as my cash flow is good, I've got some money on the side. I got my 401k. I got my other investments. I've got enough liquidity. It's okay if some of this is illiquid because I'm going to save the tax. And yeah, so that's the situation where it works. But if you need that liquidity, all of it from the sale of your real estate, obviously pay the tax. Don't do the, uh, the 1031 into a DST. Brian, if I'm 75 years of age and I do a DST four to 10 years and I pass away at 80, then what happens? All of the gains from day one of your original real estate and any gains from owning it as a DST and all the depreciation recapture you thought you were going to pay taxes on, all of that goes away. All of the tax on all the gains depreciation recapture from day one of when you own that real estate goes away permanently in a community property state when it's married couple, half of it in a common law state, but I can't get into the details there. That's too deep. But we're getting out of tax permanently is, is the answer to your question. Okay. Let's say that I don't have investment apartments or houses. Let's say that I've got some land, some farmland. I've had it for a long period of time. It's appreciated a great deal or some other piece of property that's just not producing any sort of money. Can I do a Delaware statutory trust with a 1031? going from something like farmland into apartment complexes in the Sun Belt. Yes, uh, 1031 is pretty broad. It's investment real estate for investment real estate. Now, there's going to be some listeners right now that say, well, I have a kind of a tweener situation. I've got a vacation home up in the mountains or back home in California or wherever it is. And so that's kind of a tweener property. That can go either way. That can be a personal investment property or an actual investment property for 1031 exchange purposes. We need to talk about that. There are specific IRS rules as to how many days during the year you can live in that house before it can converts from an investment property to a non-investment property. So if you want to do a 1031 exchange, we got to understand those rules. So that's a little deeper dive. But there are people listening right now, I know, that have properties that are a little bit of each. They're a little personal, a little bit of investment. So if you want to do a 1031, we got to make that an investment property and you got to follow the rules, uh, the IRS rules accordingly. And Brian, I know that there's a proper sequence to doing this or you'll blow the deal. Let's say that uh, I've got some investment property. I go ahead and sell it. And then I come to you and go, Brian, I've sold my investment property. Here's the money. I want to do a Delaware statutory trust. It doesn't work that way, does it? Those are some of my least favorite days being a financial advisor. <laughs> when someone has been listening to me for years, read my stuff, and just didn't really pick up on that whole, you got to hire a qualified intermediary before it closes. If you touch that money, oh, it was only in my account for a minute. No, That's a minute it. too long. Right. Uh, or, well, I identified the new property. I know I was supposed to be 45 days, but it was 46 because it was a weekend. Uh, well, that's a day too long. IRS is not very forgiving. Uh, they got a rule. You got to you know, follow it if you want to get out of paying tax. And they're looking for a reason to foil you. Of course, they don't. They want you to pay tax. They, sure. They, these rules are there. But if you if you miss it by even a little bit, you're cooked. And so, yeah, please don't call me saying you, you, you deposited the money and you're ready to do a DST. It's too late. So if you're even thinking about a Delaware statutory trust, the sequence of events should be that you call Madrona Financial at 866-673-7373 and ask for your Madrona analysis and ask to talk about the Delaware Statutory Trust because certainly there are rules to that. Well, I think that people have listened to this and, you know, they hear you talk about the qualified intermediary and they're saying to themselves, I don't know how to get a qualified intermediary. How do you help with that? 
I don't know how to get things for my car engine to work right, but I suspect <laughs> the mechanics should know how to figure that out. So yeah. you rely on us. We we have really good qualified intermediaries. We have great relations with the DST sponsors. We know the stuff. We know everybody in the industry that we need to know to make this stuff happen. We have the CPAs on staff to figure out the what-if scenarios on income taxes and all that, do all the planning and legacy planning, all that stuff. So we do all the heavy lifting. As I started this segment out with, you just have to make the decision. You're ready to pivot in life and have less stress and more time and do the the sale. You're, you're at least willing to talk about it and see if it's the right fit for you. That's all you have to do. We do everything else pretty much. I mean, that's, there's very little for you to do from that point forward. Brian, I know that a lot of our listeners have businesses. If property is part of that business and I sell that business, can I do a Delaware statutory trust with the property part of my business? It's very possible. It depends on the creation of the, you know, how, how it's held, C-Corp, S-Corp, LLC, et cetera. But very often I've seen the sale bifurcated between the real estate and the other components. And there's another thing, if you're selling a business, different things are taxed differently. Your equipment is taxed differently than your inventory and your cash and your goodwill and your non-compete agreement, et cetera. And so uh, you want capital gains treatment or you want 1031 exchange treatment. You also can qualify for a qualified opportunity zone investment that can defer and eliminate tax on future gains. So there is a lot to selling a business potentially that many, most brokers that I know of, business brokers, most financial advisors really can't have the in-depth conversation about DST, OZ, opportunity zones, bifurcation of proceeds of goodwill versus non-compete versus hot assets and, and all that other stuff. I could nerd out all day long. But if you're selling a business, definitely talk to somebody that has that grasp, that level of understanding of the different components and you could come out way ahead potentially to get it right. If you're listening to the program today, you are an active landlord. You've invested in investment real estate and you're getting up there in age. Although you do like the rental income, what you don't like are the toilets, the tenants, the trash, the capital calls, and maybe you think you could be making a little more on your investment or you think that maybe you're overestimating what you're making on your investment. Well, the answer is to call Madrona Financial Services at 833-673-7373 and ask for your complimentary Madrona analysis. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime and it will involve a discussion about Delaware Statutory Trust if you choose. It's a chance for you to ask your questions, get the answers that you need here to get 2024 off on the right start. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime. 833-673-7373. Do it today because phone lines are open right now. Well, Brian, we've had a great show today. Once again, if our listeners have missed any part of it, we're a podcast. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Growing Your Wealth. With Brian Evans, you'll hear this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your journey towards a prosperous retirement. Happy New Year, everybody. Have a great weekend. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your own individual information. Ryan Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DSD investments are only available to accredited investors and offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Madrona Financial and CPAs is a registered trade name used singly and collectively for the affiliate entities. Madrona Financial Services, LLC, Madrona, and Bauer Evans, Inc. PC. Bauer Evans. Investment advisory services are provided through Madrona. CPA services are provided through Bauer Evans.